Viva is trying to pick between two good but imperfect sites for the World Cup final. Plus, later in the episode, we'll hear from NFL Network analyst Gerald McCoy. It's Thursday, October 26th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter with a scratchy voice, and this is Front Office Sports Today. FIFA is choosing between AT&T Stadium in Dallas and MetLife Stadium in New Jersey for the World Cup final. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports newsletter co-author Eric Fisher. Welcome, Eric. Hello. So I'm going to let you do most of the talking here. What's the latest (laughs) on FIFA's big decision? All right. Well, we're getting we're getting ever closer to the the big decision before the end of the year, where we're expecting the exact schedule and matchups and where the individual games are going to be taking place. We know the rough cities where uh, things are going to be happening, but the exact schedule we're just a matter of weeks away. And FIFA is doing their final site checks because there's again a lot of interest, of course, in having the uh, ultimate matches in this tournament, particularly the final. And, and as you correctly point out, we're down to uh, reportedly AT&T Stadium in Texas and MetLife Stadium in New Jersey uh, for that decision for the final. And as part of that, FIFA is continuing to make some final site checks to have every last piece of current information before they make that decision. And this is not the first time turf has come up in uh, this this in recent months, but it sounds like one of the big issues is that both of those are turf stadiums and the World Cup is played on grass. Yes, but there's more to it than that, that it's always been known that those facilities and any other NFL stadium that currently uses turf and is going to be part of the World Cup will also need to change to natural grass or really a natural grass hybrid. That's already been known as part of the, the FIFA's rules of engagement for this tournament. The concern that's at play here, particularly as it relates to AT&T Stadium, is whether these newly installed grass fields for the tournament are going to hold up over the course of the, the entire tournament and all of the activity that will occur during those weeks of the tournament. Uh, and the, these are newly installed fields and they're not part of the everyday life cycle of this tournament. And you can spend all the money and hire all the groundskeepers you want. But the fact that you're sort of building something new um, for that moment and it's not an existing part of that those facilities reality, uh, there remains some concern as to whether those uh, those newly installed fields are going to hold up. Yeah, I mean, you can see the tension here where it's <clears> – <throat> What people are saying could be the biggest sporting event in the history of the world. Um, and it'll be on a field that is not used to having grass and on um, and it'll be the end of the tournament. So it's after, you know, a month or so of of games being played there. So, yeah, it's I guess they're going to do all the inspections they can and then hope for the best. Yeah, and, and part of the issue here as well is that uh, places like AT&T Stadium, they've, of course, have had international soccer before and they've had events with natural grass, but usually these are pieces of sod that are brought in and sort of stitched together to put it in very rough terms. Uh, but then you're b- basically having slabs of grass on top of slabs of concrete and it's sort of an imperfect thing. And so there are some 
you know, pre-existing history that needs to be overcome as well. And, and everybody involved recognizes that, that because this is the world cup and it's going to be the largest ever world cup. And there's all these commercial expectations with the event being in the, in North America, uh, the United States sharing with Canada and Mexico, that these fields have to be to a higher level. And everybody involved understands that it's just, again, a matter of can that actually be pulled off regardless of resources. And what should we be watching for next as this this drama unfolds? Uh, probably more clues from the politicians. It was New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, who was really the, one of the big sources on this to indicate that uh, where we are in this final consideration. And there's a lot of interest in the public sector, you know, governors, mayors, uh, county people, you name it at any sort of level or branch of government. It's such a big deal in these respective communities. and. They're so excited to have these World Cup events in their respective markets. So those are the people that I'm really looking to because they're the ones really going to be dropping the tea leaves as to where this thing is going. And they're probably going to be saying things on this subject before FIFA says anything officially. Yeah, makes sense. Eric Fisher, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Always a pleasure. Another Chicago area suburb wants the Bears. Country Club Hills, which sounds like a gated community but is actually a town of around 17,000 people, issued a press release titled South Suburban Elected Officials Throw Hail Mary Pass at the Chicago Bears. And hey, good on them for declaring themselves a long shot right from the beginning. Why would Country Club Hills be a good spot for an NFL team in the third largest metro area in the U.S.? Well, according to the press release, it is near three major highways, a metric commuter line rail stop, and wait for it, the Indiana border. I don't know if that's going to be enough to bring the Bears, but hey, why not throw your hat in the ring here? The Bears still seem likely to eventually make it work in Arlington, but they haven't been able to come to terms there with town officials, and they now have entreaties from Aurora, Naperville, Richton Park, and Waukegan, and also Chicago has not given up on keeping the team. Over to the NBA. Charles Barkley turned some heads on the season's opening night on TNT in the pregame show before the Suns' victory over the Warriors. The foursome of Barkley, Shaq, Ernie Johnson, and Kenny Smith had NBA Commissioner Adam Silver on when Barkley, instead of kicking it to a commercial, said this. There's a couple of disturbing incidents of domestic violence in the NBA right now. What are we doing to address that? Because that is a, you can't put your hands on women, man. And we should be at the forefront in sports when the men hit women. So what are we as a league going to do about that? Silver was able to field that one, even though it was clear from how he responded that he wasn't expecting the question. But it's a moment that speaks to who Barkley is. This is NBA opening night before a marquee matchup picked specifically to get people excited about the coming season on a network that is currently in an exclusive negotiating period with the NBA over what will be a historic media rights deal. And none of that is more important to Chuck than bringing up this important issue. A lot of people talk about speaking their mind and being true to themselves, whatever the consequences, but Barkley just showed what that actually looks like. Up next, I spoke to former NFL player and now NFL Network analyst Gerald McCoy. Gerald has a lot of good observations on today's game, including a lot about how the league treats different positions right now and where he sees that going. Our conversation is coming up right after this. All right. Very excited now to be joined by six-time Pro Bowl defensive tackle and now an NFL Network analyst, Gerald McCoy. Welcome, Gerald. What's up, brother? How you doing? I'm great. Great. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm doing great. great. 
So to get to know you a little bit, you retired a couple years ago from the NFL. What made you want to get in on NFL media? Actually, I retired a couple of months ago. Yeah, this is recent. Um, media, it just kind of came natural to me. You know, I've always um, always kind of been the lead in certain stuff, like all the way dating back to when I was four years old. I never had um, the fear of talking in front of people or cameras or whatever it was. You know, they needed somebody to play Santa Claus in the school play. So I did it. You know, I, I was the lead in certain stuff in my church and they needed somebody to talk to the class or whatever. It just came naturally. So, um, you know, I'm very opinionated. I'm a deep thinker and uh, I like to project it in different ways. Well, if you can do it properly, that puts you on camera to do it. You know, so <laughs> that's kind of it just kind of was a easy transition out of football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like maybe you didn't have the same learning curve that other other players might have going from the, the field to the booth or the studio. Yeah, well, it is. There is a learning curve, even if it comes natural. There's still a way to do it. Um, you know, some people have natural ability to play basketball, natural ability to play football. Um, some people can just draw. Some people are natural artists, but there's still different techniques you can learn and use uh, to make you better at what you do. So there is still a learning curve, but it's not as they kind of just throw me in the fire. They don't, oh, well, this is all you can do. They make me do this, do that. You know, it's all different things they make me do. So um, I enjoy it, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, often the, you know, just getting thrown in in the deep end is is the fastest way to learn. So let's get to some football topics. Uh, offense has been down this year significantly. Is there some kind of trend you can point to in how teams are built or run that's leading to this? Um, if I have to pick anything, I would have to say it's the defenses uh, finally catching up or adjusting. You know, when you're competing at the highest level in the NFL, you're competing against the greatest minds in football and uh, the greatest players in football. And when the game evolves, the first thing to evolve is offense because the name of the game is put up points. So once defenses have adjusted to the style of play, now you have to find new ways to put up points. So with the evolution of the game, you know, dating back to 2004-ish, the Wildcat offense was introduced. And now in college football, you had the spread offense that was introduced where you see all these teams putting up all these points. Well, with the evolution of the NFL, they're starting to evolve to having spread offenses and bringing in quarterbacks who primarily play out of the shotgun. Uh, the rule changes in the NFL are beneficial to more offensive players and defensive players. If you look at all the rule changes, it's so the offense could put up more points. Well, like I said, you're competing against the greatest minds and athletes in the world at your sport. They will adjust, and eventually they'll catch up. And I think that's all it is. The defensive minds and the players are starting to adjust to how to play at this speed and this style of offense. So now is limiting the points. So now evolution is going to have to happen again in order to see these huge numbers and these 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 huge touchdown numbers and these scores. Otherwise, it's just going to be NFL football again, very close games, low-scoring games. And you might have teams average 20 to 30 points, but those are going to be like the anomalies, you know, until the game evolves again. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And do you think given that there's going to be types of players who might – start getting more attention or perhaps bigger contracts as teams try to stay a step ahead in this evolution? 
Yeah, well, it's always going to be the quarterback. I mean, the quarterback makes your team go. You got to have a great defense if you want to win a championship, but without a quarterback, you're going to struggle, especially at the highest level. And in the NFL, man, it's hard to win without a, a, a viable quarterback. So they'll always be the money makers. But I also believe that um, defensive linemen are going to start getting paid second highest out of everybody, more than receivers and all that, because if you have great defensive linemen, that's the neutralizer of a great quarterback. So I was always taught in order to build a team, you get your quarterback, you get somebody blocked for your quarterback, and then you get somebody to go get after the quarterback. You know, so uh, I think the defensive linemen are going to start getting paid like the old quarterback numbers, you know, high 20s, low 30s. I think it's going to start happening for real. Yeah, and I think we're already starting to see that, you know, with like Nick Bosa and others, it's it's moving that direction. And yeah, and then I have to wonder if the next evolution is protecting the quarterback more if if teams are figuring out, okay, we neutralize the quarterback by, you know, having more guys that can can blitz and disrupt, um, then stopping that is somehow, <laughs> I'm not quite sure how, is uh is probably the next thing that happens. Yeah, well, I think the NFL does enough to protect the quarterback. You can't really land on them. You can't hit them in certain spots. You know, if you grab them in a certain spot in the in the pocket, it's a flag, and they do enough to protect the quarterback. So they don't need no extra help. Yeah, yeah. No, I just mean in terms of roster construction or or just like offensive schemes. Uh, like, uh, yeah, well, I think that you know it just kind of depends on it's week to week game planning. You know, if you know you're gonna put, face a great pass rush, you're gonna leave in an extra blocker. You might. Um, you know, throw more screens, run some draws, try and run the ball to neutralize those guys getting upfield and getting after your quarterback. That's more scheme based than, uh, you know, how you construct your roster. Yeah. And since you brought up running the ball, um, that's, you know, running backs have been downplayed in and, you know, they're not happy about that, obviously. Um and yeah, as quarterbacks can run more and just the game becomes more passing focused. But I'm wondering if that could be a another part of that evolution that if um, if there's so much focus on the quarterback, that defenses are just focused on stopping the quarterback, then having that alternative become more prominent um, could could start to become more of the game. But also we see quarterbacks is starting to run and sort of filling some of that gap. So do you see running backs maybe making a comeback or is this kind of their place for now? Yeah, I think right now this is just where we're at. Um, if you get the right running back, though, it can make or break your team. If you look at the Tennessee Titans, Derrick Henry, a lot of what they've done has been on the back of him running the ball. The Cleveland Browns, Nick Chubb, if you look at them, they're playing phenomenal defense right now. But the offense is a little stagnant because Nick Chubb is no longer in the lineup. Uh, look at what Christian McCaffrey did to the 49ers. You know, they were already a good offense, but you add him and boom, they take off. Um, trying to think of somebody else. Uh, Saquon Barkley, you know, uh, the Giants last year with Daniel Jones, they didn't really have a lot of weapons, but Saquon, he was back to Saquon form. And even if you look at this year, the two games that they won, Saquon has played big in both of them. So, um, you get the right one, he could definitely be um, a very, very valuable asset, and he can make or break your offense depending on the weapons around it. But besides that, man, these running backs are all so good. The separation between, like, the top and the bottom is not that far off, especially with the scheme. We've seen the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan, his offense, he's had really a plug-and-play 
offense as far as the running backs. You know, Raheem Mostert is down now in Miami, but he set an NFC championship record for rushing when he was with the 49ers. And he's got phenomenal speed, but that scheme, the running backs have always been really good in it. But then you take a talent like Christian McCaffrey and you get what you get. Uh, but as far as like how the NFL and where it's going, I don't see them really changing much for the running backs, which it, it, it's, it's the running back position is devalued at this point. And right now, I don't know if I see it changing much, you know, because the name of the game is score and it's really going to be the quarterbacks and the receivers. Um, seeing a great run. Everybody loves to see a great run, but people want to see big passes. And, you know, the NFL understands that. Don't think it's fair. I'm not saying it's fair, but I'm just being realistic about what where I see this going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, hopping to a couple other topics before we let you go. The NFL is now really pushing flag football as a way for young people and even women to get in, into the sport. Flag's going to be in the Olympics in 2028 in L.A., uh, possibly with active NFL players. As someone who made a living tackling people, uh, how do you feel about the push toward flag? Uh, I think flag football. So if you take an NFL player, I've I've had a lot of uh, former teammates that play flag. You know, they've done flag and they tell me, gee, I understand we were top level athletes in pads, but flag football is one in itself. It's like a completely different game. It's not what you think it is. It's not just seven on seven. It's not just you cover him, you do this. And he says some of these guys put these schemes together and they do this flag football, man, and make it a person miss with their flag and different techniques and stuff is not the same. So um, I think it would be great for the NFL to get involved and put a team together. You know, they uh, from what I hear, there's a team being, you know, flag football is supposed to be a sport, the Olympics. I think putting the NFL team together would be, incredible you know and then my daughter she plays flag football so involving the women i think is a must and uh I, i'm excited for it man it's just i love the game of football at every facet seven on seven pads flag whatever it is man uh pop warner all the way to the nfl so anything involving football i'm all for all right yeah very cool um and just wanted to give you a chance to talk about your foundation the patricia diane foundation named after your mother uh tell me about the work you do there yeah, well, like you said, it's the Patricia Diane Foundation. My mom's name was Patricia Diane Stewart, then married my father, became McCoy. And um, my entire life, I just seen the work she did and the love she spread. She was so selfless that her own kids would go without so she could bless other people. And to some people, that's like, oh, my kids will never go without so somebody else can have. Well, it wasn't that we went without, but sometimes she would have to tell us, no, wait, because somebody else needs it more. And that's all I seen growing up. And, you know, when she passed away, I just try to find different ways to honor her. So when I made it to NFL, had a chance to start a foundation. You know, one thing she would always target is single parent homes. It's not just moms. You know, it's fathers, too. But, you know, single mothers are obviously a higher statistic. And I've seen it a lot growing up with family members, uh, friends that I grew up around, and I've seen the struggles. So one thing that my wife and I try and do is target those families. So, you know, with back to school drives, we've done a McCoy family Christmas multiple times. 
um, my football camp. It's a free football camp. You know, any way that we can help these single parent homes out and just take some of the relief off because it's not easy. You know, my wife and I, we've been knowing each other since middle school. We got five kids together and we still have times where we like, whew. So, you know, a parent that's taking care of one, two, three kids alone, it's not easy to deal with. So my wife and I, we try to do our best to relieve some of that pressure off of them and help any way we can. All right. Fantastic stuff. Gerald McCoy, thanks so much for joining us on the show. All right. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. Give us a review while you're there. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you tomorrow.